reading is from Psalm 119, and it can be found on page 617 in the Church Bibles. Uh, it's reading verse 17 to 24. Do good to your servant, and I will live. I will obey your word. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth. Do not hide your commands from me. My soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. You rebuke the arrogant who are cursed and who stray from your commands. Remove from me scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will mediate on your decrees. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellors. This is the word of the Lord. Very nice to see you all and to have the, the privilege of sharing with you again from God's Word. Uh, and we're thinking from Psalm 119 today. It's quite a long psalm. Uh, when I was at school, one of my teachers, his punishment was you would write out Psalm 119 three times. It's 176 verses. And if, if you have the psalm in front of you, you, you may already know that it's based on the Hebrew alphabet. So there's a section of a few verses for each letter. So it's kind of an A, B, C, D, E, F, G, etc. Uh, on uh, the, the Word of God. And how good, too, to have the origami theme. I'm glad it was you doing it and not, not me. It's funny, isn't it, really? I, I, in one of my lessons last week, I was collecting in some, some books at the end of the lesson, and there, on, on, and this is absolutely true, on this pile of books was an origami frog. I thought, what was that student doing in my lesson? But anyway. <laughs> and, then, and then I found out what that student was doing, because on the back of the frog was, were written these words. This frog knows more about physics than I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I wish I'd brought it now, actually. <laughs> dear, oh dear. Anyway. But that is such a helpful illustration that when we follow the instructions, something beautiful and recognisable is, is brought into being. And through the scriptures, God wants to work with us and in us to reshape our lives. It's not something that's done to us as to a piece of paper. We are living people. And God brings us into a personal relationship with him. But through that, he's wanting to reshape our lives. Maybe into the shape of a swan. So that we're no longer ugly ducklings, but the beautiful swans that he always wanted us to be. Shall we pray? Father, as we look into your word today, we pray that you would give us attentive and receptive hearts. That we would know what your purpose for us is, and that we might open ourselves to your reshaping work, that you would iron out those creases that shouldn't be there and put in the ones that should be there, that our lives would have the right shape to reflect and to reveal your glory. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. 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 Well, just to be absolutely certain that, that everything is... Um, Going according to plan. I've got, I've got one or two props with me. Here's a, here's a very important one. 
I can't always see the one at the back, so I brought my alarm clock with me. It's, um, it's actually set to go off at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, so... <laughs> I, but it's... Whether, whether we get to that, I'm not quite sure, anyway. We, we're here in the third section of the psalm, and, and their alphabet is not A, B, C, it's A, B, G. Aleph, Bet, Gimel, if you, if you follow the... Um, and that's a bit like the Greek alphabet as well, which is Abba, as well. And so this is the third little meditation that the psalmist is having about the Word of God, and, and in, in particular... As Norman correctly said, the law of God, the first five books of the Bible, but also the principle about the, the word of God in, in general. And let's notice, if we can, th three things from verses 17, 18, and 19. This person has a, a lifetime goal, an aim in life. They've got a reason for living. Do good to your servant and I will live I will obey your word this is the psalmist's reason for living to be the servant of God and through whatever health and strength and opportunity he's, he's given to obey to actually re receive and then live, live out the word of God and then secondly he has a prayer open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. What a strange thing to pray because when you read the rest of it you realise this, this guy has already been reading the Bible and knows quite a lot about it. He's been, he's been living by it for quite a while. It's his whole way of life. So why does he say to God open my eyes that I may see? And then thirdly we see that life isn't always easy for this servant of God. I am a stranger on do not hide your commands from me. You see, he wants to obey God's word. He wants to live it out. So he prays to see it more fully. He realises that his circumstances make that difficult. And so he, he asks God again to help him to see what his word is all about. Do not hide your word from me. Now, the sermon title is, How Do I Read the Bible? And we've, we've already read the answer, actually. It's in verse 18. It's with our eyes open. How about can you read, but with your eyes open? That's just very, very silly. But you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to read the Bible with our eyes open. And all sorts of things will make it difficult for us to read what God is really wanting to say to us. We might be like my students and get distracted by some other activity like making an origami frog instead of learning our physics. Uh, it may be that we, we, we can't recognise what is there because we're, we're, for some reason, blocking it out. It may be that we can recognise it, but we can't accept it because something is holding us back from entering in the everything, uh, to everything that God has for us. Jesus said in, in John chapter 8, to those who were listening to him, to those who were really listening to him, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And my prayer is that God will be at work in each of us to set us free to know in our own hearts and lives what his truth really means. Okay. 
It's about having open eyes. Eyes that, first of all, are open to see what is really there. And God is able to make us see, to make us really see. And so the psalmist says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Now, uh, in, in my job, this, this next week, just to come back to my job again, I, I'll be teaching my students about the Big Bang on Friday. Not that the Big Bang will be on Friday, but that's, that's, that's when I'm due to do that particular lesson. And it's, it's, it's part of a unit uh, on uh, astrophysics, which, which sounds very, very grand, doesn't it, really? Um, and we've been doing that for, for a couple of weeks now. And if I can just read a little quote about this, because it, it refers to the Bible in the textbook. It doesn't, it doesn't often do that, but it refers to the Bible in the textbook. So here's a sentence from our textbook. According to the Bible and most other creation stories, the first thing that God made was the sun. Without the sun, there can be no life as we know it. The sun was worshipped by many civilizations for example, figure 511, Mayan Sun Temple. Now, how does that strike you? According to the Bible, like many other creation stories, the first thing that God made was the sun. There can be no life without the sun. Many ancient cultures worshipped the sun, such as Mayan Sun, sun Temple. Any, any comments on that? John? Can you, can you say what comes after the but? No. no? Debbie? No. Did they spell sun S-U-N or S-O-N? Well, indeed. S-U-N. Have you got a Bible? Why not turn to the first page and tell me what is the first thing that God created? I mean, you may know anyway without, without turning to it. Which means God, God made everything, yeah? Is there a, is there a particular thing, one, like a, a particular element of the heavens and the earth, that, that, you know, a particular aspect of the heavens and the earth that God made first in... in let there be light. Let there be light, yeah. Where does, the, where does the sun come into the story? Verse 14, which... Which, which day is that? You know, it's amazingly hard to read what is in front of us, isn't it, really? Which, which day does the sun come into the story? The fourth day, yeah? Now, what, what, what Genesis 1 means is an issue in itself which we can't go into today. All I'm trying to point out is you know, it's mighty hard to read what is directly in front of you, especially when you think you already know what it says or what it should say. I think Genesis 1 is quite different to other creation stories and it's deliberately trying to be. It's absolutely not telling us to worship the sun. It's nothing to do with it. It could not be more different. Now, it was written many thousands of years ago. And it's not in uh, a, a style of language that perhaps many people would use today. 
but it really is not saying what our dear friends in the physics textbook think it is saying. And that was just to illustrate that you know, the, Bi the Bible can be difficult to read because of the preconceived ideas that we have about it. The person writing the Bible says, God said, let there be light. And we think, well, where, where did the light come from? What kind of light was it? What produced the light? The person writing Genesis 1, to, to my mind, doesn't seem to be worrying about that at all. God can do whatever God wants to do. You don't need a sun to have light. God can do whatever God wants to do. And when God puts the sun into the sky... It's the same kind of words that you would use for a householder putting a lamp onto the windowsill. It's just a thing. It's a beautiful thing and a very important thing, but it's just a thing. God is the one who is worshipped, not the things that he has made, no matter how wonderful they are. And that's why Genesis 1 starts with the phrase, in the beginning, there was the sun. It doesn't start with that. It says, in the beginning, God did it. Because it's really about God, actually. And it's pointing to us to remember that the world around us is pointing to God. And that's where our, our attention is meant to be. It's hard to read the Bible because of preconceived ideas that we may have about what it should say. Or about what the people who wrote it would have thought. Because they were very old-fashioned people many, many years ago. And they were. And their culture was very, very different. But that doesn't mean that they didn't think some things that some of us have never thought in the whole of our lives. And will be coming to new for the first time. The Bible is quite a challenging book, but it's also a very friendly book because it's meant to be used. Do you know this? It's a personal message that comes to us as people. And uh, the, the psalmist here is, is, is speaking to, to God in the same kind of language that you would use to speak to another person. He's responding to God. And he's treating the written word that's come through different, uh, through, many through the, through the prophet Moses, I guess, there, for the first five books of the Bible, as God speaking to him, and he's speaking back to God. It's part of a conversation. It's something personal. Now, when we're putting together the program for uh, this uh, part of the year, I had in mind that, that, we, that we might have had two readings today, an Old Testament one and a New Testament one, and I, I, couldn't, I couldn't settle on a New Testament one, so we just had the Old Testament one. But one of the New Testament ones that I might have looked at was in the, the second letter of Peter, and I'll just share with you, if I may, a, a couple of verses from 2 Peter and chapter 1. quite a remarkable passage actually because uh, in it Peter speaks about his experiences with, with Jesus and what that means for him now coming towards the end of his life. Verse 14, I know that I will soon put it aside, that's his earthly body, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. I'm, I'm going to die soon, Peter says. I, I know it's, you know, it's, I'm getting towards the end of my course kind of thing. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. What things? For we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came from him from the majestic glory saying, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. And so on. He goes on to speak about uh, prophecy and scripture and so on. And here's Peter writing to these uh, Christians that he cares so much about and says, you know, I've tried to tell you all these things and, and how much they mean and how important they are. And I'm going to make sure that you'll always be able to remember them. So you'll always be able to bring them to mind. Peter says, we were there when it happened and we want you to know about it too. And God personally spoke and Peter was there to hear it and he records it and passes it on to us and it comes to us in the Gospels. Uh, it's, it's the passage just before the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. God says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. And again the voice speaks in another passage at the transfiguration of Jesus. And it's good to remember that the, the message of Scripture is, is not just ink on a page, but it's the testimony of people who lived real lives, had real feelings, had real problems, and whose lives were changed and reshaped by the intervention of the real God. And although there are lots of facts and figures that we might learn about the Bible and lots of interesting questions that it might prompt in our minds about what is the nature of truth and so on, at the end of the day, the purpose is to be part of that process of personal communication. God spoke from himself. And he spoke through people and he speaks to us through their recorded message, just in a similar way to, to him speaking to us through each other at particular times. And the right way to respond to that is a personal way. God's looking for a personal response from us to his word. I think one of the problems that we can sometimes have with the Bible is that there are always things about it that we don't understand. You know, we look at a passage that maybe isn't familiar to us and we've no idea where to begin with it. Or we start picking up on sort of random thoughts to do with it that, that are, are, are potentially going to be confusing. A little bit like our discussion of Genesis 1 at the beginning. We need to give ourselves time to get used to each element of the Bible, each story, each section, each book. They can all have their own character. And we mustn't be at all worried if the first time that we look at it, or even the tenth time that, that we look at it, we don't understand everything. We don't need to understand everything. As long as we begin to understand something, then we can respond as people to that. Uh, there's a, there's a, a famous quote that I think is attributed to, to Mark Twain that I may have used before. It's not the bits of the Bible that I don't understand that worry me. Why did this happen? Why did that happen? It's the bits of the Bible that I do understand that worry me. Because they show me how my life should be, could be, would be a different shape. If only. And then I can take that step if, if I want to. So please don't, don't worry if things aren't obvious straight away. Please don't worry if there are questions that you can't answer. There will always be questions that we can't answer. There always are. 
That's not the point. The point is, are there any questions that you can answer? And if the answer is yes, then there is something that you and I can do about that. You know, I might have said, I'm not going to marry that, that woman over there until I know everything about her. Now, I found out quite a lot about her, because it's a big decision, isn't it, getting married? But I can never know everything about her. That, that's silly. I'm still learning about her. And she's still learning about me. And the, the, the odd thing is, we're still changing. So we can't know everything about each other at any one particular time anyway. There has to be a willingness to enter a relationship of trust, and God wants that with us. God is not a theory, or a pet, or a book to keep on a shelf. God is a living person, more real, if, if I can say such a rhetorical phrase, rather than a literal phrase, more real than any one of us is. And God wants us to respond to him as to a living person. And yes, we can find out what will that mean, where does that come from, find out lots of things. But we'll have to come to a point where we make that personal commitment. And we will not be able to answer every question before we do that, because it doesn't work like that. So our psalmist, although he knows a lot about God and, and the way of following God and calls himself God's servant, he's well aware that he doesn't know everything. He's, and more than that, he's well aware that he needs God's help even to see what the scriptures mean. Even for this person, this person of faith, it could just become empty words. He needs it to come alive and he needs God's help to do that. And one of the factors in that is the situation around him. He feels isolated. I'm, I'm a stranger on the earth. Uh, he feels put down by other people, perhaps because of his faith. Remove me. Remove from me, verse 22, scorn and contempt, for I keep your statutes. Verse 23 is interesting. Though rulers sit together and slander me, your servant will meditate on your decrees. It wasn't just that some people made fun of him. It was that important people, people of influence, said bad things about him. So he's a person who's, who's isolated from those around him, and even people who appear to be in charge are taking a different view. And we need to be aware that it can be like that for us also. That around us are many ways of looking at life that are not compatible with what the scriptures say. And we will be influenced by that. We'll be influenced in what we can think and how we think, as we saw with the Genesis 1 example. But we'll also be influenced in what we feel and what feels right or wrong to us, or what feels sensible or silly to us, or what feels cool or embarrassing to us, because our feelings are affected by the people round about us. Now, I think it was the lesson with the origami frog, but the people who'd been in the classroom before me had been doing, it was a, it was a health and social care class before me, they'd been doing about psychological conditioning and the experiment, experiments of Dr. Pavlov, which you don't need to know about, but several of us do. So Mr. Pavlov was, was working with dogs. And what did, he did, what did he do to the dogs? Sorry? Uh, shocked them. Well, he, he actually did, did all sorts of things to them, actually. But the, the, the particular thing that I was interested in was that... Sorry? Trained them to respond to a sound. Yeah, he did. Yeah. 
He did. He, 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 he trained them to respond to, to a sound. And one of the things that he did was he got them to associate, the, I think it was the sound of a bell, I think, with, with food. So he could just ring the bell and then the dogs would start drooling. There's nothing in the bell that would make them drool by itself. Because of that association, he could change the way the dog felt about the world and even the way the dog reacted to the world by training it in a particular way. And we are kidding ourselves if we imagine that we're not a little bit like that. That our responses are trained, they are learned. And that's the way God has made us. He's made us to live in a group so that what other people do will affect me and so that what I do will affect other people. And that can be used well, and it can be used badly. It happens to be used randomly most of the time. But some of our feelings and thoughts will be there because we've been trained in them. Uh, I think it was a couple of years ago now, or 18 months ago, I was uh, part of a uh, course run by the diocese called Science and Faith. It ran for about nine weeks, I think. And I remember the, the, the final evening that we, that we had together just trying to dis discuss what we thought we'd, we'd learned over the previous couple of months. And I really didn't enjoy that evening at all. I don't know whether I've talked about it before, really. But it, it is amazing how, how strongly our feelings affect us. Uh, there was a guy who'd had a similar point of view to me who'd caught, stopped coming because he got fed up with it, I think. There was a guy who had a very different point of view to me who was very, very cautious at the start, but by, by the end was beginning to dominate the discussion, rather. And, and I felt very put down and very kind of cornered. And I wasn't feeling very encouraged in myself anyway. And I, I got to a point of feeling, I really want to put a, a, a different point of view to this chap, but I feel that if I say anything at all, nobody in the room will be able to hear it. They'll just hear the words but it will sound silly to them just because of the emotional atmosphere that had been set up by this particular guy. Maybe I was right, maybe I was wrong, and it would have been different if I'd been a bit stronger in myself. But I'd, I really needed God's help to get out of an emotional pit that made me feel that I had nothing to say and that I couldn't communicate with another person. And one of the things that made me really sad about that was... Um, dear old Genesis 1, which I mentioned a little while ago. We'd, we'd, we'd spent an evening about mm, two or three weeks before looking at Genesis 1 and said loads of stuff about it, about how it teaches us to worship God, how it puts things into uh, perspective, how it shows the creativity, lo loads of stuff, really. And one of the guys who was, who'd been part of that group and been in, been in all the meetings said, Because of something that happened outside the, the group in another uh, discussion that he'd been in, uh, which had really uh, upset him, actually, he, he had forgot totally the things that we discussed. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not putting this over very, very well, but it's, uh, I'll try and get to the point. He forgot totally all, all the things that we'd said about uh, Genesis 1 and went back to an experience that he'd had some months before uh, where he'd heard, he'd heard two, two people arguing and that, that had really affected his... Uh, mindset really and the end of his little speech which was a very sad and depressive kind of speech was to say I really can't see the point of things like Genesis 1 at all, you know what's the point of that, it's empty 
And I so wanted to say, but it's not like that. And we said this a couple of weeks ago, but I felt utterly powerless. And I felt that he was in a place where, because of his feelings and the hurt that had been caused to him by this previous argument, he just wasn't in a place where he could hear anything that I wanted to say at all. I believe that he needed God's help to get over what was an emotional and personal uh, barrier, but so did I, because I couldn't function as the servant of God or even as, as, as his helper at that particular moment. And I think that can be true for all of us, that not just the way we've been trained to think, but the way that we are conditioned to feel can hold us back from both knowing God and receiving his word and putting it into practice. And so we need to pray that prayer that the psalmist prays in verse 18, saying, I really need you to help me, God, because without you I can't even get started. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And this is a process that goes on through the whole of our lives. It's not a sudden thing, suddenly we get it all sorted, everything's fine, I'm going to be great and I'll never have any more problems at all. It's a process that goes on for the whole of our lives. He talks in verse 17 about wanting to live a life that is centred on serving God and obeying him. When I was at, at, at school, uh, one of the things that, that we studied was uh, uh, the, the prophecy of Isaiah. It was interesting because we, we studied various things at school that wouldn't have been taught at my home church. I, it was a great church in many ways, but it did certain things and not others. So it was quite interesting to uh, hear the, the Bible presented from a different point of view. And because the guy who was doing that was quite sensitive, I, I, rather than feel threatened by that, I felt sort of enabled to, th to think more, more, more widely about this, the scriptures. But if I may just uh, share with you a couple of verses that meant a lot to me at the time, and which have stayed with me. So I would have been 15 or 16 then. So how many years ago is that? Don't answer that question. Don't answer that question. Uh, but the, but in, the, in this sort of latter half of Isaiah are a, are a set of little uh, poems or whatever that are sometimes called the servant songs. And they, they picture, uh, firstly, the people of Israel as the servants of God, trying to serve him, but having problem after problem, but wanting to serve him through those problems. And as Christians, we, we look at that and, and say, well, actually, that's very much a picture of Jesus. The Old Testament people of God did, did many of these things, but they could never do it perfectly. Only the perfect Son of God could be the real suffering servant of the Father. And here the, the servant says these words in chapter 50 and verse 4 of Isaiah. And if you want to look at it, it's 737. Good old Boeing 737 in our church Bibles. The Sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning. He wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. 
the Sovereign Lord has opened my ears and I have not been rebellious. Now when I, we used a different translation then, when I com compared the school's translation with the one that we used at church and then later with, with other translations, I found that the, 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 the words that were translated instructed and taught were sometimes put in different ways. And what fascinated me about it was that in, in verse 4, the servant of God is at the end of a teaching process. He's learned lots of things, so now he's able to tell others about it. But actually, in um, the second half of verse 4, it's still going on. He's still waking up morning by morning and hearing God every day. Hello, Mark. He's still, he's still being taught day by day. And, and I, it really made an impression on me, actually, and it still does. And it's really weird doing, doing my job as a teacher. This verse speaks to me. And it says, when you stop being able to learn, you shouldn't be a teacher. And the only way to, to be any use to our fellow believers in the path of discipleship is to still be walking along it and expecting to make progress. And, and what I particularly like about this uh, little bit of the servant song is the great humility of it. He's in a position where he can teach others, but he still wants, to, he knows he needs to receive from God, not once in a while, but every day he wants to hear from God. That phrase, uh, the Lord has opened my ears, can be interpreted in different ways, but I believe a literal translation is that God has dug my ears, God has excavated my ear. That's an interesting thought. Maybe what we need to do is to lie down and get a JCB to act on us or something. Or is that the reason for JCB? That, 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 that he's saying, you know, I just, I just couldn't hear what God was, was wanting to say to me unless he'd actually dug out and made a proper ear that had room to take in what he was... God had to excavate my ear to get his word through to me. I don't think it's literal. Uh, but it's saying how much we need God's help to really hear what he's saying. And as Christians, we believe that Jesus was the servant of God who wanted to hear from his Father every day, every morning. Now, Jesus, we know, went to the synagogue. Jesus discussed things with uh, the, the teachers in the temple as well as with his disciples later on. And it's good for us to be sharing our thoughts on the scriptures and what God is doing in our lives with other people. But we all need that place where we can say to God, I want to hear you just between you and me. And Jesus taught his disciples to pray together and privately. And I believe he shows us by his example that we should seek to use the scriptures together and privately. Now, every person is different, and it's not for me to say that because I you know, follow a particular pattern, you should follow the same pattern. But I just leave that, that thought there, that God is calling each one of us to find a way to meet with him. Why not daily? Why not daily? And that the scriptures in some way can be part of that. 
if we ask God to open our eyes and to dig out our ears so that we can really see and fully hear what he's wanting to say to us. So the Bible brings us a tremendous challenge. How can we read it? By being open to what's there. By being open to the people through whom it came to us, even though they lived in a different culture and a different place and had many different expectations of life, that we are prepared to imagine and think and be humble and patient enough to learn from them. But more than that, to be open to the God who cannot be contained in this universe, but who says, I want to be in your heart.